Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we pray that you would be glorified in us by setting us free. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let me invite you to turn to your Bibles. We're looking at Romans chapter 3 and verse 26 this morning. Uh, Romans is in the New Testament. I think there are people here. Romans is in the New Testament. Okay, it's going to be a long morning. (laughs) Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. Let's listen to God's Word. It, that is uh, the cross, was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There is no problem so terrible that cannot be made worse by guilt. So says Calvin of uh, Calvin and Hobbes cartoon fame, not John Calvin. (laughs) I sometimes wonder whether that quotation could be usefully stuck on the side of a few church vans. You know, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. But what if God had the right to justify you? If not, of course, we will face uh, a choice. We will either feel guilty or we will construct other pseudo-justifications. There are many of these, as we shall see in a moment, and they function a bit like a drug. They work for a while, they give you a high, but then you crash, and then you need more and more of the justification to have the same buzz, the same guilt-free experience. You keep on justifying yourself over and over again. But God does have the right to justify if you believe in Jesus. That's what we're going to look at this morning, what I'm going to seek to demonstrate for us in these five ways. First, don't misunderstand justification. Second, do understand justification. Third, avoid other justifications. Fourth, get a right attitude to God. Fifth, get a right attitude to yourself. So first, don't misunderstand justification. Uh, When I was working in a Central Asian uh, country a few years ago, we were trained beforehand to uh, be aware of the cultural potential misunderstandings, tripwires, if you like. One of the things that was explained to us was in this culture, even numbers uh, actually in certain circumstances could be symbolic of death. And so, of course... In that culture, to send a dozen red roses, 12, you know, 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12, an even number, 12 red roses would not mean, you know, thank you or I'm sorry or 
I love you, it would actually mean, I thought you were dead. (laughs) Misunderstandings. Few biblical teachings have been more widely misunderstood than this one, justification. Why is that? It is because the culture around it is very different from ours. There have been five, at least, misunderstandings, and I want to mention them very briefly to you so that we will avoid them. Pharisaic, Roman, medieval, Protestant, yeah, Protestant, and a current one. Pharisaic. When Paul was writing, uh, some Jews had already developed a misunderstanding about justification. You can see this in Jesus' story about the Pharisee and the tax collector. You remember the Pharisee prays, I thank you, God, that I am not like other men, and then lists all his self-justifications. Misunderstanding justification as something that he could achieve rather than something that God had done. Pharisaic. Roman. Not many of the commentaries mention this, but if you look at Greco-Roman culture and know some of the background to the city into which Paul was writing the book of Romans, you'll be aware that they viewed righteousness politically, not theologically. And so Aristotle defined the just man as someone who was for fairness and equity. Plato, uh, slightly different, had a view of uh, the just man as someone where his reason ruled over his other appetites, and a just society was where we were governed by reasonable men. Well, so then Roman law said, very influential, of course, on all of our Western law, Roman law said the just is the set and constant purpose which gives to everyone his own. In other words, they viewed just, this whole concept of what is right as something political and social, not something about our relationship to the one great God. Medieval. Gradually, the medieval church began to teach that justification only came after you had done lots of holy good deeds. You first had to be sanctified And then you might, perhaps, get justified. Rather than the other way around, which is what Paul was teaching here. Protestant. Yeah, there is a tendency, you know, in evangelical circles to view justification as merely a theory. Not something real, a legal fiction not changing how you actually live. Well, Paul is putting justification here, so prominent in his writing to Romans, because he viewed justification as a message to change the entire world. It's not, you know, say a sinner's prayer and then you can ignore God afterwards. Current. Uh, In recent years, there has been a misunderstanding about justification whereby it functions in this thinking primarily, if not exclusively, certainly primarily, on a social human level. The focus is all about reconciling people, different races, different classes, different cultures. Whereas here, Paul is talking first of all about our vertical connection with God, our vertical reconciliation with God, 
and only uh, thereafter with uh, each other as a result. Anyway, those are some of the sort of typical misunderstandings, and they're important to know so we don't misunderstand the dozen red roses of justification. Second, well, then, do understand justification. I uh, was speaking at a conference in uh, the country of Ukraine a few years ago, and after I'd speaking there, a friend of mine who was also speaking at the conference, we went out late at night to a cafe in the city uh, and were just chatting away. And then we noticed or, uh, there was a group of people next to us who were having a lot of fun and talking loudly and all that sort of thing. And I just kind of tuned them out while I was chatting to my friend. And then I realized they weren't speaking any kind of foreign language. They were speaking Russian. I used to know Russian better than I do now, but I know still a little bit. And so I began to pick it up and I leant over and said, you know, you know, which is Russian, sort of. Uh, and... Um, you know, and then we began to talk. And then after that, uh, my friend said to me, uh, he said, see, you made a connection. We began to understand. A connection was made. So you need to understand. If you want to have a connection to what God is saying here in his word, you need to understand. Here are three ways to do so. First, get the metaphor then get the union with Christ that Paul assumes, and then the faith that he calls for. Now, the metaphor or picture. Now, Paul, of course, here has a number of different pictures of how the cross works. Uh, There is the slave market. That's the redemption word. We are to hear and feel all the horror of a slave market. And then the redemption. Buying out of slavery. Redemption, that's one picture. And then there's the picture of a temple. Massive temple with all this ceremony and a sacrifice at the front. And it's Jesus who sacrificed. Propitiation took uh, the wrath our sins deserved. Temple imagery. And then there's an image of the gift. If you like, it's a bit like Christmas. That's when we think of gifts, we think of Christmas, don't we? (laughs) Well, there's the tree. And the gift is being unwrapped. Grace. It's a gift. Elsewhere, the Bible uses other pictures. Uh, Reconciliation. I already mentioned that one, where friends patch up a quarrel. And they're reconciled. Now, that these are pictures doesn't make them any the less real. Oh, no. They describe a far greater, not lesser reality, something more definite, not more vague. It's, these are the revealed handles from God, the revealed ways for our human minds to, as it were, see through a glass darkly God's eternal salvation, to try and get it. Well, the most frequent uh, picture in this passage, though, is that, of course, of a law court where a judge pronounces someone guiltless, free, righteous, justified. And so the picture here is just a bit like this. It's a bit like if a judge first sentenced a teenager for speeding and he had to pay the fine. And uh, then, well, he came down from the desk, the judge did. He's the son's father too. And so he pays the fine to let the son go free. 
It's a bit like that. So Paul here is emphasizing justification over and over again in this key passage because it's so foundational to understanding how the cross works. It's going to help us make this connection. Let me give you a couple of historical quotations so that you can believe you know, that this isn't just my idea. Martin Luther, this is the chief point of the whole Bible. And if that article of justification stands, the whole church stands. If it falls, the church falls. Kind of important, in other words. Or uh, if you like uh, the New Hampshire Confession, you know, perhaps you're from New England, you want somebody from there. The New Hampshire Confession says, justification is the great gospel blessing which Christ of his fullness bestows on such as believe in him. In other words, if you want blessing, you don't get blessing from prosperity in a sort of financial way. This is the great gospel blessing. So it's not just kind of important, it's kind of good. And so the picture is a judge declaring you right, foundational for Christian living and the church. But this uh, declaration is based upon a real and spiritual union with Christ. So it's a picture and there is a real and spiritual union with Christ by whom God truly and therefore legally declares us right. Truly, therefore, legally. Galatians 2 verse 20, I no longer live, it is Christ who lives in me. Jonathan Edwards explained it like this, what is real in the union between Christ and his people is the foundation of what is legal. That is, it is something really in them and between them, uniting them, that is the ground of the suitableness of their being accounted as one by the judge. Christ and us, we in Christ, true foundation of what is legal declaration. Christ is righteous, we're in him, therefore he declares us righteous. So it's a picture of a judge declaring a guilty person right. It's based upon our real spiritual union with Christ. And it's received by faith. Now, faith does not add to justification. Faith is not a special extra magic that only certain personalities have. No, faith is the way human beings connect personally to truth. It's a relational word. Faith is not irrational. A leap in the dark? No. Faith is like walking down the aisle to get married or waiting at the altar for your bride. Faith is the way a human being connects the truth of another person. Faith or belief or trust receives that God has declared us right in Christ. Justify. Or if you like mnemonics, just if I believe. Don't misunderstand. Do understand just if I believe. Third, avoid other justifications. Other justifications, you say? I I thought justification was a sort of churchy religious word. Uh, Are there other justifications? Oh, yes. (laughs) You bet there are. Somewhere deep down, we know we are not right. And so we look for ways to try to convince ourselves that we are right. 
Let me give you three other justifications people use. Children, money, knowledge. Children. People can find their justification even in their children. If little Johnny is doing okay, then I am all right. Obviously, children are important. But are they what make us right? Uh, I went to a uh, children's soccer match with a friend. He was visiting town from another part of the country. And we went to one of these soccer matches, you know, on Saturday morning in some park somewhere. And there's, you know, all the minivans, line after line of minivans, right? More minivans than trees. And um, my friend commented on this as we sort of drove past them. And, and then we got to the pitch side, the, the field, and we're there with all the other parents. Ref, you have no idea what you're doing. Little Johnny has to succeed. If he's doing all right, then I'm all right. Little Jane has to be doing okay. That's where I get my sense of being in the right. I am so embarrassed if they do something wrong. Why? Because it makes me look bad. One of the indicators that this is a justification around here in our part of the world is that people find it hard to imagine anything different. But if you go to New York, the high-end finance people don't live for the children. They sacrifice their children for their careers. Here's what happens if children become our justification. When they grow up, they will become annoyed at us for making their life about our life. Children are not going to make you right with God. Having a good family does not declare you right. It cannot. They cannot. Money. Again, that's obviously a pretty big motivator for many people, but actually it's not the case everywhere. In some artistic communities, they don't want to make money. In fact, if you try to do so and you end up making money, you have sold out. Money, of course, is a useful thing. (laughs) Making money is not bad. But it cannot be what declares that your life is right. Uh, In medieval Europe, they had these morality plays, little dramatizations that went around from uh, town to town, from city to city. And in one of these morality plays, uh, they took with them a chest, a treasure chest, a big chest that you would imagine would hold gold and precious jewels and money and all, all that. And then at the most dramatic point of the play, suddenly from the chest, presumably a person lying inside, from the chest would come a voice saying, you can't take me with you. Money is a useful tool. It's a devilish treasure. Your treasure must be in Christ. 
Only he can be your righteousness. How can you tell if uh, money is your righteousness? Well, you can tell by how you use it to excuse any other kind of behavior or immorality. Greed is good, they say, for money is their righteousness. Money is a good tool, but it's a bad master, a terrible righteousness. It will turn you into Scrooge. You will die alone, miserable and rich, and who cares? You won't. Now, you want to make as much as you can, save as much as you can, in the words of John Wesley, and give as much as you can. See, this is why churches and charities talk about generosity. They're not trying to take your money away from you. They're trying to give you something. They're trying to set you free. Free from thinking that money is your righteousness. It's not. Christ is. Knowledge. Children, money, knowledge. Uh, the main university library at Yale is purpose designed as a cathedral. Think about that for a moment. And then when you walk in, you go to the main circulation desk, the place where you get your books, right at the center of the library, built as a cathedral. The main circulation desk is purpose designed as an altar. Interesting, isn't it? What about around here? Bible knowledge? You know, understanding the Bible is good, but it won't make you righteous. Only Christ can do that. Knowing how to teach the Bible is good, but it won't make you righteous. In fact, for a certain kind of personality who likes to be an expert, an an authority figure in a religious community, you will want to get the text right above all. My friend, you can get the text right and get Christ wrong. You are not justified by your understanding of the Bible or by your teaching of the Bible. You can know if Bible knowledge is your righteousness by how you judge others who don't get the text right. You begin to treat them as if they are not righteous because somewhere in your worldview, getting the text right is what makes someone right. Children, Money, knowledge. There are other ways people try to justify themselves, of course. Politics for some, career for others, music. You have to have a certain kind of music or you are not right. If you have a good marriage, it can be easy to think you are right if your wife or husband thinks you're right. Ways we try to justify ourselves So don't misunderstand justification, do understand it, avoid other justifications, and now, fourth, a right attitude to God. Uh, A few years ago, I came to a crisis point in my life. I I cannot tell you all about it because it involves other people. 
There was some area of significant personal suffering. It was interesting for me to look at what this did to my faith. I didn't question God's existence. You may know that C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed, had something of the same observation. I didn't question God's existence. I questioned the kind of God that existed. Uh, Recently, I saw a rerun of The West Wing, you know, the show about the President of the United States. And in this particular episode, uh, the president had someone very close to him die. He'd gone to the funeral. It was in, this, in the beautiful National Cathedral in D.C., Washington, D.C. And then afterwards, he asked everyone to leave and had the security close all the doors, everyone out of the building, and then in private, he raged against God in church Latin, facing the front of the cathedral, the altar, and then smoked a cigarette and stubbed it out on the floor and turned and walked out. I was so angry at God. What right did he have to do what he had done? Interesting question. What right? Carl Jung wrote about this in his 1952 book, An Answer to Job. Job wrestles, of course, with the problem of suffering, and Jung quotes Job, uh, talking about God still being right, but Jung can only see that God has the power. In other words, God is in control, so he makes the rules, and that's it, even if they are unjust. You know, there are a lot of people who live with that kind of attitude to God, that view of God, the divine dictator. What God says is right, is right, and stuff the rest of you. Easy to think like that, especially when you suffer. And then justification forever kills a wrong attitude to God. Listen to Paul. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just. I raged against God like Job until I remembered one little thing, one little moment, one little hill, one little tree, one broken body, one bloody corpse, one empty grave. Justification doesn't only mean you are justified. It means foundationally that God is, that God is right. He suffered. He is Just, he can forgive the worst sin imaginable because he took it and punished it in himself, the abuser, the child molester, the murderer, the thief, the holocaust. Whole punishment for all he received at that moment, on that hill, on that tree, in that body, just, if I believe. So fifth, the right attitude to yourself. Uh, There was a young boy who... um, thought he had done something very wrong. A little chap about this high, you know, a little guy. 
chap guy, translates, you know. He wasn't sure exactly what it was that he had done, but he felt really bad about it. In fact, so awful did he feel that he went downstairs in his parents' house and uh, opened the door to the uh, downstairs bathroom, closed it behind him, and hid in that room. Well, his parents, after a while, noticed that he was missing, and so they did what all parents do, and they said, hey, you know, where are you? Hello? Called his name. No reply. And then they began, well, you can imagine how they were feeling. They began to search. Started at the top of the house, went from room to room, opened closet door after closet door. Finally, they came to the downstairs bathroom. The father opened the door and saw his son curled up in a little ball hiding under the sink. He offered him his hand and led him out. Justification is the hand of God to set you free. free from guilt. Other justifications may be attractive to you, but they're not going to work. They're just, they're just like trying to cover yourself up with, well, with fig leaves. Self-justifications are not big enough or good enough to conceal the self's sin. Now, of course, we're adults, so we hide in different ways, don't we? We hide behind masks. <laughs> we all know the names of those masks, don't we? Uh, there's a mask uh, that's called successful. And then there's a mask called intelligent. And then there's a mask called moral. It tends to look very strict and stern. And then there's a mask called rich. Or good mother. Or athletic. God's justification frees us to stop hiding. For God is not only just, he is also, Paul says, the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, if you believe in Jesus, and when I say believe, I don't mean just, oh yeah, I think he existed, or oh, I think that was kind of interesting this morning. I mean, throwing your life at his feet, trusting him with Every part of your being. If you believe in Jesus, you are now all right. You no longer need to hide. You can come out and play, you can come out into the open. You are free from the trap of guilt and the addictions of self 
justifications. You're on a faith journey, not a guilt trip, for God has the right to justify you if you believe in Jesus.